Here we go. Okie dokie, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Top DAT Podcast. I am your co-host, the Uplift Athletic Trainer, Dr. Brandon Holland. And I am the unapologetic AT, Dr. Donita Valentine. This is going to be a fun show. Uh, A little bit different stuff behind the scenes, but hopefully the same for you all. Thank you for joining us. Please be sure to share and subscribe and like on all social media at the underscore top underscore DAT on LinkedIn at top dash DAT one. And um, help us uh, let us know what you want to hear, what you want to learn about, what you want to talk about, what you want us to talk about. It's going to be fun. So um, should we recap? We'll recap. The last episode you all heard from us was a uh, community, community liaison in bridging the gap. We had a very awesome panel on which uh, our own co-host, Dr. Donita Valentine was a special guest. That was kind of dope. Right. Also, shout Absolutely. out to. Uh, had, uh, go ahead. Uh, we had our special uh, feature guest co host. Yeah, I was just going to say shout out to Dr. Jumped Br- on. Um, t- shout out to Brittany Wagner uh, jumping on and helping us holding it down. That was cool. That was a fun episode. Very fun episode. So, you know, my mom is. Um, Top that's uh, number one fan, number one follower. Um, and she was so excited to, to tell me that she listened to our, our latest episode. And then she was like, what were you doing on the panel? And I was like, well, mommy, you just said you listened to it. So if you listen to it, you understand why I was on the panel. Oh, oh but I, I, I love her. Glad she was our, our number, our first listener. She followed us through the wind and the rain. <laughs> yeah. I got to sit down with my mom and do a tutorial on how to listen to podcasts so I can get her hooked on. She's uh, she's not tech savvy. So it's weird because she knows how to do some stuff really, really well with the phone. But other stuff that you think would be simple was kind of complicated to her. So she knows how to do the things that are uh, are useful to her. So I just want to get her more familiar, I guess. And um, get my family to listen. Y'all tune in. We blood. I need help. <laughs> shoot all right so uh what do we have for uh our, our shout outs today our social media shout outs so we have future dr tyler damon uh she is a doctor of physical therapy student out at temple university and she's also a certified athletic trainer so thank you tyler for giving us a follow on ig we also have Dr. Nicola St. James, doctor of athletic training. She gave us a follow on Instagram. And Tony Torres McGee. Thank you so much for, for following us on Instagram. Thank you so much, everybody, for following us. It, it really helps us a lot. Uh, please help us get the word out about, uh, about this podcast. It's growing and we're excited. So we're, we're reaching some new milestones. We have listeners in Russia now i don't know if that's weird with what's going on in russia um but i think it's dope to be international uh russia is just one of the places uh prayers for everything that's going on over there in 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 europe and uh pray for a peaceful resolution really soon because there's a lot of people over there suffering on both sides but particularly the people who who aren't who don't want to be involved in the war uh prayers go up to them absolutely Awesome. So this week's uh, stories and shenanigans, we have a really, really cool story that uh, Dr. V came across. So do you want to lob this one up? Sure. So I came across a YouTube video with a highlight on, on a Miss Bree Jefferson, who is an assistant athletic trainer for the Detroit Pistons. And the title of the clip is called An Undeniable Presence. And it was brought to us by Bally Sports Detroit. So go head over to YouTube and and look that up. An Undeniable Presence for a great shout out um, to Bree Jefferson. It goes 
through how she got started in the NBA. She started out um, with Detroit's um, G League. Actually, she started out as an intern with the Knicks, and then she went to Detroit's G League and did a stint with the Warriors and then came back um, to Detroit, she said, because she loves Detroit. And she went from the Army to athletic training, from, and she got interested in athletic training from an injury that she sustained during um, the final stages of basic training. And that's what got her interested in athletic training. And one of the things she's known for saying is, is dream big. If your dream doesn't scare you, then what's the point? And I really like that. I really, really like that. Yes, indeed. And I think that's a, that's a really important message um, because a lot of times we set what a lot of people like to describe as realistic goals. And I, I have a different philosophy. Um, when you set a realistic goal, you're really only preparing yourself to do something that a, a trillion other people have done a trillion other times. Right. Uh, so I, I think it's helpful and important to set unrealistic goals. Uh, set, set some goals for yourself that are obnoxious, that are, that people laugh at, that, that create maybe a little bit of fear and a little bit of doubt and then try like hell to reach it. Uh, because if you don't, chances are you still surpass what the average people have done. And if you do reach it, then you've done something incredible for yourself. And especially at a point in a place where a lot of people didn't believe that it was possible for you. So, uh, that, I think that was a very awesome story and a very awesome message. And, um, so if you're listening out there, two things I want you to take away is don't be afraid to dream big. The second thing is if you're a clinician and you're caring for people with injuries, I think this kind of gets lost. Um, the way you treat people is important. And if you know athletic trainers, most of us got into this field because of some history that we have with our own personal health, with our own personal injury history. And we had a great experience with an athletic trainer that really turned us onto the field. So if you wish to be an advocate for your profession as an athletic trainer, uh, don't be afraid to be nice to people, to be, to be awesome to people to be uh to be a beacon to people and um you might turn out the next first of their kind athletic trainer in a professional sport or you might pull somebody into the field who really uh changes you change their lives and they turn around and change the lives of a, a bunch of other people so uh don't be afraid to lead in that aspect that's a very good message brandon um you have such a way of eloquently <laughs> saying certain things. I didn't think it was <laughs> that was, eloquent, but <laughs> it was just pretty good. I it was pretty good. It. We're going to pretend um, that it was. And and uh, I think what what Doctor Holland is 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 getting to um, because a lot of what uh, Bree talks about in the in the video is hurt uh, the fact that she's a female and she works in the NBA, and so that was something that she wanted to do. And she didn't think about it that way. Like, you know, I'm going to be, you know, a female working in the NBA. It was just something that she wanted to do. So that's what she was going to do, you know? And so it doesn't, when, when Dr. Holland says dream big, it doesn't mean I want to be like, you know, the first athletic trainer to treat aliens on Pluto. Um, it, it could be something as simple as I'm, I'm a woman, but I want to be an athletic trainer in the NBA. Right. And treating aliens on Pluto might be pretty dope. So don't be afraid to dream That's big. Pretty cool. Right. Yeah. So if, if that is your big dream, then by all means. Yeah. NASA NASA <laughs> hires athletic trainers, so it, it might be in the stars for us. So again, don't be afraid to dream big. That was and we, we have to bring we have to bring Pluto back as a planet, right? Is Pluto is which one do we do we not have anymore? <laughs> is think, it Jupiter? <laughs> no, Jupiter's huge. Jupiter's a planet. Uh I think Pluto is the one that, that kind of every few years they're like, is it a planet? Is it not? I don't know. Why discriminate? I think, yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> let it be a planet. <laughs> Small planets matter. All right. So um, now we're just going to get into our segment with our special guests. We have two guests lined up that are really, uh, this is going to be a really awesome segment. And we're so happy they were able to join us. <laughs> All right, Donnie, do you want to just uh, introduce our guest and then we can just dive in? Absolutely. All right. Today we have 
Kim Bosley, the director of athletic training services and head athletic trainer for the Baltimore Ravens cheer team. Kim serves as the regional director of athletic training and physician extender services for MedStar Health. She leads a team of approximately 50 certified athletic trainers who serve Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, providing services in a multitude of settings surrounding sports medicine. The team services youth, high school, college, professional, and semi-professional teams in traditional settings. She also created the concept and non-traditional role of an athletic trainer as a community liaison, where an ATC reaches to a community or geographic area, organization, or building to create new partnerships. Kim is the head athletic trainer to the Baltimore Ravens cheer and dance team, a role she has held since 1997. She was inducted into the inaugural class for the Baltimore Ravens Cheerleaders Hall of Fame in 2016. Kim has attended both Super Bowls with the team. Kim joined the MedStar Health team in 2013 as the coordinator of athletic training services. She brought 10 years of expertise in physician extending and served as the physician extender to MedStar Health's orthopedic surgeon, James Dries, until 2020. Kim has worked to educate and expand the role of ATCs in the physician practice and emerging practice and competitive role in the ATC world. Prior to joining the MedStar Health team, she led the staff of ATCs at the University of Maryland Sports Medicine and Kernan Hospital for over 18 years. While there, Kim was, the front line, Kim was on the front lines pushing athletic training services into Maryland secondary schools. She was an integral part of the first funded ATC programs in public schools in Howard County. She served as the head athletic trainer for the Baltimore Bayhawks from 2001 to 2003. Kim earned her bachelor's degree at Towson State University in physical education with a concentration in athletic training. She's eligible for certification to teach K-12, K-12 physical education and health. She obtained a certification in dry needling in 2017. Build a team so strong you don't know who the boss is, is what she's fond of saying. Welcome, Kim thank Bosley, you. to the Top Dad Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Who wrote and, that intro? That was all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, came right from the MedStar website. <laughs> and next up, we have Dr. Corn Hudson Fabian. Dr. Hudson is an associate professor at Georgetown University and a physician practicing sports medicine and emergency medicine with MedStar Health. Dr. Hudson received her undergraduate degree at the University of Virginia, where she studied bioethics and sports medicine as part of the Equal Scholar Program. She graduated from the University of Virginia of School Medicine and remained at UVA for her residency training in emergency medicine before completing a fellowship in primary care sports medicine at MedStar Washington Hospital Center. Dr. Hudson has been a faculty physician at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital and MedStar Washington Hospital Center since 2006. She is currently a team physician for Georgetown University, assistant team physician for the Washington Wizards and the Washington Mystics, and a consulting physician for the Washington Capitals. She does it all. Dr. Hudson divides her clinical time between the emergency department at MedStar Georgetown and her outpatient sports medicine practice with MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital in McLean, Virginia. She is involved in health policy as it relates to athletes at the collegiate and professional levels and is a member of the NCAA Division I Concussion Safety Protocol Committee. As a former paramedic and certified athletic trainer, Dr. Hudson has a passion for sideline, race day, and game day event coverage. She enjoys working as part of the sports medicine team and often lectures and teaches at multidisciplinary conferences on a team approach to athletic emergencies. In her office practice, she treats a wide range of musculoskeletal injuries and concussions with a particular interest in caring for athletes of all ages and abilities. Welcome, Dr. Hudson, to the Top Dad Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Great round of applause for our guests. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a blast. I'm super excited to have such a, a powerful duo on. And um, we've got a a few questions we want to throw at you all and um, really just to kind of, to let you all tell your story and, um, and let the world know what they should know about uh, you and, and how, how you got where you are in your position. So both are pretty, pretty awesome positions. Is that okay? Sure. Sure. Sweet. All right. So Dr. V, would you like to toss out the first question? Absolutely. I'm going <laughs> to, we're going to throw this at Kim first. Um, Kim, 
What motivated you to pursue a, le- a leadership role in athletic training? That's, that's kind of like a two-headed monster, I think. I think, yeah. I, I think because when I, I first started managing people when I was in, in my mid to late 20s, so I got thrown into kind of like that supervisory role early. And I think at the time, it was a product of being young and not being told, but not like, I didn't like being told what to do. I wanted to be the decision maker. I wanted to be in the driver's seat. Um, I think that it had a little bit to do with that. And then I also think it had to do with the fact that I don't feel like I had really good representation of what a leader should be or what leadership was um, in my first job. Um, You know, it was shirt and ties and stuffy and, you know, you just didn't feel the advocacy, do you know what I mean? Or you didn't feel the love as like a young provider, a young female provider, or just being a young athletic trainer. Um, I, I think that's kind of how it started. And then I'm, I'm proud to say it's evolved. Um, now it's more about knowing that we are in a male dominated field and in order to have a seat at the table and have a voice while you're at that seat at the table, you have to have a title to go with it. And I think in order to be that change agent and in order, you know, to be that advocate for young professionals and even just the system, you know, that, that comes with having to have a title. Um, so I think, you know, started off as like a selfish kind of journey. Cause I wanted, I wanted the title. And like I said, I didn't like to be told what to do. I wanted to make a lot of the decisions and now it's turned into an opportunity to just, you know, have a seat, be an advocate and be a change agent. So two headed monster. Yeah, that that's really key. Um, if your leadership at the end of the day as an athletic trainer, they don't understand, or even if they want to support you, if they don't understand where what you do and what you're going through and what it's like to be in your shoes, it's kind of hard to get the support that you need. Yeah. And, and I'd say that's probably one of the best things about where I am now is I have a direct supervisor who is a vice president, but who is also very willing to admit he doesn't know what he doesn't know. I will never forget my interview with him back in 2013. And he was super honest and candid about like, this is new to our system. Um, We had a very siloed approach back then. The athletic trainers were employee, um, hospital employees. So they were kind of like, you know, potted and siloed and really weren't one big team. And um, we, that was one of the first initiatives, like let's make this an athletic training team. Let's bring everybody together. Let's get everybody in one call center. Let's work to, to create one, one team, one voice. And, you know, he's a physical therapist by trade, but, um, has always asked the right questions or tried, you know what I mean? To ask the right questions and really be an advocate for the profession and, and, um, and help grow it, um, at MedStar. So I've been very lucky. I've been very, very lucky. Awesome. That's huge. So, uh, both of you wear many hats, which is, uh, (laughs) like many hats. And I think a lot of people can relate. Um, I'm going to ask this to uh, to, um, to Kim first, if that's okay. And then uh, uh, Dr. Bosley, I'm sorry. Um, I'm having a brain fart now. Dr. Hudson, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> if you could, you could just jump in. Um, so uh, as, uh, as you practice, uh, is it, does it become difficult to, to manage your, well, to run your management duties in combination with your practice or how do you manage your time? So I, I look, I reflect some days and I don't know how I did it when I first got to MedStar. I was actually an athletic trainer in the physician practice. Right. So I was working with a super busy orthopedic surgeon. I was in his clinic with him three days a week and that only allowed two days a week to manage, if you will. And, you know, at that time, the athletic training team was a little bit smaller, maybe closer to 30 people. Okay. Um, but as we grew to over 50, I was like, how am I how am I doing it? You know, and it's really just like in between patients coming in early, staying late, um, was kind of how, what you had to do. Right. Um, and then there was a push from our leaders, um, that, you know, said, Hey, I think we need to pull you out of the clinical role. I think this job is getting too big and too overwhelming and you need to free up more time to be on the road and do site visits and just be a more active participant um, you know, in leading the team and participating in leadership in the system in, in general. And, uh, and that was hard because I was like, that's what I knew. I knew, you know, boots wet, hands dirty, always in, in the mix. And I think that gives you street cred. I think Dr. Hudson would agree when you're still in the mix. I think it gives you a little bit more street cred with your team and leadership that you can 
have the diversity to do both. Um, and so, but there was a really big push from our medical leadership and I'm kind of glad they did push me. Um, cause I was wondering what my identity was going to be like, how, how can I not be in a physician practice? Like, what am I going to do? And, um, I, I was trained somebody to take over my role, um, started on that path of, of leadership and then bam, a pandemic. Right. And that just completely changed the course of everything. Um, and now I feel like we're kind of getting that sense of normalcy back. And I don't know how I could possibly be in clinic three days a week and navigate a team as big as I have and navigate a cheerleading team on top of that. So um, it is hard. It is hard. And um, sometimes I say, I don't know how I do it. And other days I'm just like, you just get it done, right? Just nose to the grindstone. Um, you say you wear a bunch of different hats. Some days I prefer a fascinator or a tiara, maybe a hat. Pen. Um, uh, but I, I think that's what it is. You just have to grind it out some days. You just have to get it done. Um, do the best you can. Absolutely. But I, yeah, when I reflect on that, I'm like, how did I ever do, how did I only have two days a week? Like to, to really admin a, such a big team. Yeah. I sometimes say I don't wear a lot of hats. I wear a lot of shoes because I'm kind of a shoe gal. And and sometimes it feels like all of those shoes have ended up in the backseat of my car. <laughs> um, but I, I think organization is key, right? My, my Google calendar looks like a box of crayons threw up on it because everything is color coded. <laughs> um, but for me, a lot of this comes from a background in um, emergency medicine. And, and even before that, um, EMS and, and athletic training, which I did very briefly, but the idea that I've, I've actually never in my life had a nine to five job. So mm -hmm. the fact that my life started in a place where things were nights and weekends and holidays and off hours. And so nothing ever fit into that sort of nine to five Monday to Friday box. I was always kind of all over the place and fitting things into random time slots. And so as my sort of career path has, has evolved, um, overlaying that with other duties hasn't seemed that unusual. So it's not that weird to me. Um, I worked three to midnight last night uh, in the ER. It's not that strange for me to, to roll to an 8.30 meeting in the morning uh, because I've been doing that for two decades. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I'll have a Wednesday this week off, right? Which is, it doesn't matter that it's not Saturday or Sunday. Sometimes I'll have a Wednesday off. Is it likely that a couple meetings will creep into that Wednesday? Yeah, probably, but that's okay. Um, I can still get the things done that need to get done. Um, so it's, it's about flexibility, I think, and, and being sort of maximally flexible. Um, and then a combination of short-term and long-term thinking. I think for me, things like schedules, game schedules that need to get on the calendar, I get them on the calendar as fast as I can so that I can see them. Uh, and then once they're on the calendar, I really don't think about my life more than about 48 hours in advance. And when things get really hairy, um, I just go into triage mode, right? Like I'm not thinking beyond about 48 hours out. If you ask me what's happening next weekend, I have no idea. Um, and then, you know, I'd be lying if it didn't involve in my case, a lot of support at home, right? So, so I, you know, I've got a husband, I've got two kids. Um, I've got the world's greatest mother-in-law who is like the third parent at my house. Uh, and if we didn't have that, um, it'd be really hard, right? Because th this is a job that requires a lot of nights and a lot of weekends and, and without a supportive partner, supportive family, um, and a supportive job environment that helps me do this well, it would be really tough to make it work. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, Dr. Hudson, you mentioned, um, that you, you started the, the crazy schedules early off. Um, so, um, you did begin as an athletic trainer. So was um, the plan always to go into emergency medicine or did it kind of evolve after once you got your feet wet in athletic training? Yeah, so I always knew I wanted to do sports medicine. Actually, emergency medicine was the was the detour. Um, I was a modestly talented athlete. I was not an outstandingly talented athlete. I was a modestly talented athlete who got hurt a lot. <laughs> um, and was fortunate growing up, going to high school outside Charlottesville, uh, that we had at my high school, uh, a graduate, uh, student from the master's program at UVA and master's athletic training program at UVA came out to work at our high school every year. And so all those years when I was in high school on the basketball team, on the track team, um, getting hurt. I had one of those master's students every year and they were fantastic. They were always interested, enthusiastic, wanted to teach. 
a couple seasons where I was out with season-ending injuries, the coaches would let me kind of stay with the team, travel with the team as kind of a student manager, as a student athletic trainer. And they would teach me some basic anatomy and physiology. They were teaching me how to take. They were teaching me some basic skills. They let me start coming and I would work football in the falls. And, and I would actually then start helping them with their master's thesis projects. I was a subject and I didn't know how many master's thesis projects over the years. And then when I got into UVA as an undergrad, they'd already introduced me to the program faculty. And so it was an easy transition. I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, I think I kind of knew that I wanted to be a physician in the end, but I thought sports medicine and physician meant orthopedic surgeon. Um, I went through the internship route program at UVA, which is what they had back in the day, mm -hmm. right? When I could do my, my core classes and my, my 1500 hours in clinical uh, in the athletic training room there and worked with some of the great athletic trainers, some of whom are still there at UVA. Um, and, um, uh, when I finished and I, I got into med school later, um, they, they actually let me keep working with them. Some, I still did summer camps. That's how I made money during med school, uh, working camps and doing tournaments for them. Um, and in med school, I thought, um, orthopedics was going to be it, but you get into medical school and you're either going to be a surgeon or you're not going to be a surgeon. And I found out really quickly, I am not a surgeon, but I don't really love the OR and it just wasn't for me. And I had a little bit of a crisis moment of, have I done all of this and come all this way? And now I don't know what I want to be. Um, and I realized that emergency medicine was a lot of what I loved in sports medicine. It was the fracture care and the concussion care, and the uh, initial management of injuries. Uh, and then when I figured out later that I could come back and do a fellowship in sports medicine and could marry those two things together, it, it kind of felt like I found where I was supposed to be all along. Cool. So Very uh, cool. How often do you, do your, does your, your, I want to call it elementary training because it's, it's, it's pretty technical stuff what athletic trainers do, but probably in a grand scheme of the things you've seen in, uh, in medicine, it's, um, it's, uh, comparatively it's just not as technical and not as, uh, insane all the time. How often do you find yourself reverting back to your initial training as an athletic trainer in your practice in medicine? Oh, I think my initial training in athletic, I, I think it, it's really solid. I mean, I think the anatomy and, and physiology training anatomy in particular, I think the physical exam skills, um, the musculoskeletal exam skills uh, outstrip most of what is taught in medical school. Uh, I think the ability to assess and examine uh, musculoskeletal injuries I think some of the DO students, I think uh, osteopathic schools do a really good job of that. But I think most medical schools, um, frankly, don't do a very good job at teaching musculoskeletal exam school uh, skills. Uh, so I really think that, that what I have and what I learned largely comes from what I learned uh, as an athletic trainer. Uh, and so I think a lot of that I still pass on. Um, I mean, I still remember uh, when we took the practical exam, which I, I now isn't a thing, right? But know, taking right? the practical exam and having to put the little sticky dots on, mm -hmm. on body parts. And, and um, I, you know, I tell people about that in medical students and their eyes get big. They're like, you actually had to show people where the, yes, we did. Yeah. And this is how we did it. And I think that that really comes up a lot. I think that when you think about things, I mean, I watched you know, medical student orthopedists try to put an ACE wrap on people. I mean, that sounds elementary, but have you seen how badly it can be done? Yeah. Yes. Right. When you see 100%. how badly it can be done. I mean, I teach the splinting module for our, uh, for our emergency medicine residents every year to teach them how to put splints on. Um, and, and like the, like orthoglass splints, like to, to splint acute fractures. And, and half of that is teaching them how to appropriately apply an ACE wrap. Uh, over the splint. And again, that seems basic, but when it's done wrong, it's really wrong yeah. and it can be really catastrophic. And so I think that those skills, um, I mean, they, again, they're, those, those are real and they've been with me for two decades and I keep trying to pass them along. Um, but I think that the, the assessment skills and the sideline skills, the keeping cool, the being able to, to handle the emergency moment um, when you're it, right? Like it's different when I'm in the emergency department, I got people, right? I got support. I got right. nurses. I got techs. I got, I got, I got a team. That's not quite the same as being the athletic trainer for a high school when you are out there by yourself. Um, and keeping your cool in that situation, I think is amazing. And, um, 
and undervalued. That's an incredible answer. Yeah. I think <laughs> Dr. Hudson is being modest though. I think there's another component to all of that too. Like she's just so relatable. I think that some of what she's done being an athletic trainer and um, EMT and kind of all of the places she's been, it makes her super, super relatable. So you never feel like you can't ask her a question. So as someone she advocates, she teaches, she's done a lot of stuff with our team and you just never feel dumb. You feel like you could call her, you can ask her about anything. You can talk to her about just about anything. And she's just so humble and willing to help guide you through. So I think that's the other thing that, um, that brings, I don't know if it's her roots in athletic training that she's got a soft spot for us, but, um, she's just an, an amazing partner, um, when it comes to what we're doing and what we're navigating, um, at, at uh, MedStar and in our athletic training career. So I thank you for that. Doctor. Well, I love that. I mean, one of the things <laughs> I've seen is, is when we get into situations like early on, I would see the, like the sometimes like clashing of horns, like between athletic training and EMS. And even when I was a paramedic and I'd been an athletic trainer, I, I was trying to smooth that over, right? This whole like, oh, we have to unsplint the thing you just splinted because we have to do our own assessments. Like, no, you don't. Like, we just did an assessment. Please take our word for it. Just take my patient to the hospital. Or like, who's in charge of backboarding this person? Like, can we just all get on the same page? Well, once I've been in both roles, I felt like, look, I can speak both languages here. Like, can we just, can I tell you, like, you have more experience in this zone, but you have more experience in this zone. So let's all get together. I hope that I can sort of do that now. Um, and again, like the, the physicians who do this need to understand the experience that the paramedics have and the experience that the athletic trainers have and recognize that the athletic trainer who's on the sideline is not the assistant coach, right? This right. is a highly trained medical professional. Don't hip check them out of the way and, and elbow in because quite frankly, this person has more experience and knows this athlete better than you do. So, you know, maybe take two steps back, put your hands in your pocket, listen for a minute before you try to, again, try to get in the way. That's why I tell my fellows anyway. So one of the, <laughs> one of the things you just mentioned there is, uh, it's actually a pretty hot topic where I'm currently working is, uh, is that sometimes the, the treatment protocols kind of conflict. And what you, what you mentioned is exactly uh, in a scenario that I dealt with where we almost lost a student who, uh, who put his fist through a vending machine and, and <sighs> cut it very severely. And uh, it took me a while to get his bleeding under control and to get him calm enough that he wasn't, you know, to get his blood pressure down. Probably some of his blood pressure losses because he was actually losing volume. But we got him stopped up and EMS arrived. And the first thing they wanted to do was rip off my bandages and run, run an assessment. And um, I, I showed them the scene, which was still being cleaned by, um, I'm sorry, was still being cleaned by our custodial staff. Like it looked like a crime scene. And I explained to him, we just got his bleeding stopped. He's still pale. You know, please don't take this off. Take my word for it. And they didn't. They Well, I didn't let them uh, unbandage him in my in my clinic. They took him to the to the ambulance and they unbandaged him there. And um, he described to me later on that he went into shock um, and he lost consciousness. And they almost had to fly him to a, a, a high-level trauma uh, center. Uh, how? And you're because you, you've been in all of these places, you've been in the ER, you've been in athletic training, you've been in EMS. Um, what's the best way to get everyone on the same page? Uh, how do we how do we connect the dots so that we have a more seamless transition of care of patients from one group to the next? So there's no easy answer when we can do it, when it's going to be a consistent group. Um when we're going to have the same EMS group or a similar EMS group coming to our clinic or to our high school, to our uh, events, trying to have that conversation ahead of time uh, certainly helps. I mean, this has gone on for how many years with this idea of, are we going to cool the exertional heat stroke patients before we send them to the hospital because EMS was going to try to take them, right? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to wait until they're cool? And how many times, you know, we've gone through this forever. Of, you know, in places where we would even delay calling 911 because we would be afraid that EMS was going to try to take our patients to the hospital before they were adequately cooled. Um, now we've got states that are actually changing their tune and actually kind of coming on board and recognizing, no, EMS can cool their jets and we can get the patient down to a cool temperature. But it's taken a long time and we have to get to that ahead of time. Um, 
it's maybe a little easier at something like a like a, a marathon or a race, right? Where there's a, a medical director, or a physician who, for no that lack of a better term, can pull rank, right? And right. say like, I'm a physician, you know, before you take this patient, you better call, get your medical director on the phone and we'll go physician to physician on this. Um, you know, I think if, uh, I want to say the, the, the subtle threats, uh, but the threat would be to me, I'd say if you're going to take that dressing down, I would have a tourniquet ready and I'm going to make sure I document in my record that I have advised you not to do so. Hmm. And, and maybe that's enough to make them think twice, right? I'm telling you, I think this is a significant and potentially life-threatening bleed. We have just gotten it under control. I am suggesting you not take the dressing down. If you're going to choose to go against that recommendation, I would have a tourniquet ready and I'm going to document in my records that I've suggested you not do that. And, and then if they do it, it, it's on them, but you've made it very clear that in your professional opinion, you think that's the wrong choice. And that may be just enough to slow them down and, and think twice about blowing you off. Mm-hmm. I certainly appreciate that answer. And I'm going to, I'm really going to write that down because um, it's something we still deal with. Yeah. yeah. I think I've been lucky that, um, I, like I started my athletic training career in a very small area. So we only had one firehouse that would res- respond to us most of the time. So it, I, you know, it really was doing that site visit and like getting to know the guys on that shift and getting to know those guys and gals and, and have that, you know, have that relationship ahead of time. That's exactly what I encourage our young athletic trainers to do. If, if you have one house, that's always going to respond to you try and go meet those folks ahead of time because it can certainly make your life a lot easier. And even then, like when you've had, I've had some good EMS respond and they're like, why am I going to cut all this stuff off? Like <laughs> you did a great job. Like this yep. kid's all packaged up and ready to go. Like, why am I going to cut all this off? I'm not going to. So sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you don't, right? Sometimes they do want to, you just did all this great job splitting an athlete. They're super comfortable. And then EMS rolls in and they just want to chop everything off which is a bummer. And then, you know, you see your athlete get upset all over again and, you know, puts them in pain. And I know at the end of the day, that's all we're all trying to do, right. Is advocate for the best, um, the best outcome for our athlete and for our patient. I think it probably helps to understand what the, what the scheduling is too, for the, the response agency that's coming. So most municipal fire departments are on a couple of different schedule plans. So, um, one, they're usually three, three different shifts in most fire firehouses. So at the most, you might have three different crews and they generally keep a fairly regular um, staffing. So it may not be the same guys and gals every day, but if there's an A shift, a B shift, shift and a C shift, you might just have to have that conversation three times, mm-hmm. not 20 times, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it, once you've met all of the three shifts, now you've got, got the group in and, and that may be all it takes to do this a, a couple times a year. Uh, maybe get in with the, the, the medical director or the training officer once. Um, and oftentimes it will be the firehouse that does that first response and then the ambulance who comes behind. But they work together enough that they may not redo each other's work, but they often will try to redo our work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then again, if you have the, the special events teams that cover at your events, often it's easier to work with them because you'll have a standing protocol for... Yeah, that's uh, always nice. Games and races and things. And I get it. I mean, they have a certain protocol that they have to follow, right? By their medical direction. Absolutely. So that gets so that gets tough too. Um, so I, I think it can be. I actually was just interviewing a gal the other day that probably didn't totally understand, you know, the protocols when EMS does arrive. Um, she was doing, you know, again, trying to advocate for her athlete and probably should have yielded a little bit more to EMS when they arrived and really, you know, push back. And she thought she was advocating for her athlete because she wanted to keep her athlete calm and happy and, you know what I mean? And in a good situation, but really she, in hindsight said, you know, I probably caused more turmoil, right? So now my athlete hears me kind of arguing with another healthcare provider, you know, about how we're going to move her, how we're going to get her, you know, um, get her transported to the hospital. And, you know, in hindsight, she's like, I probably made it a little bit worse before I made it better. So I think, you know, I, I think it's our job, you know, to, to just, uh, educate our young, our younger professionals, right? Like you got to find that way that that you got to find that balance. And I think it's about communication and approach. I mean, I get it. Like you have your protocol, I've got mine. Can we like kind of come together? And it's probably not necessarily what you say. Maybe it's how you say it or your approach, you know, to the situation. Um, 
I've, I've certainly learned over the years that it, there is some truth to, uh, you know, using honey <laughs> is, is way more attractive, uh, yeah. you know? So I don't know. So Kim, you touched on two things there. Um, one is the interview process, but I want to go back to that. But the, before we do that, um, can you just talk a little bit um, about the value of having someone um, with Dr. Hudson's expertise on the sideline uh, at race days, you know, on all of those things? Because, Kim, you're kind of the person who puts everything together, make sure we get all of our trainings. Can you talk a little bit about about how you value this relationship here? I mean, it's just that extra layer of protection, right? Like just knowing you have her there or you have people like her there is just an amazing feeling. Um, I first met Dr. Hudson. We were, I was tasked with um, putting together a medical team for the ACC men's basketball tournament. So we're partnered with Monumental Sports and I had to reach out to all of our providers and um, put together this medical team. And I was still kind of new to MedStar. I didn't know everybody. I didn't know all the players. And so I'm reaching out to everybody and, and everyone, you know, it's the ACC men's basketball tournament. Lots of people were interested in supporting and helping and volunteering. And I just don't think I really understood like the magnitude of the professionals and, and the, 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 um, the bench depth that we have, um, at MedStar, I really did not know. Right. And, um, I think just, you know, meeting Corey and like just having our relationship kind of grow over the years and really better understanding all the things that someone with her training is capable of. Cause the, that whole concept was a little bit new, like the, you know, an ED doc also being sports medicine trained. We have a lot of physiatrists that we work with and PM and R docs. That was kind of a super new model to me. I didn't have that at university of Maryland. So if it, for me, it was, I needed to pause for a second and really recognize, you know, all the resources that we have. Right. So I think that was like, you know, the first thing to, you know, to really understand, but just knowing that you have somebody with all this diversity and all this training is just that extra layer of security. You know, it's like, won't lie. It's like a warm blanket. Like you just know that that person, you know, is there for you. And I've been super lucky over the years with all, a lot of the things that I've been tasked to plan and do and, you know, be a part of that, you know, she's been there for me, you know, as a resource. So not only from her ED standpoint, but a lot during the pandemic and a lot during COVID, I felt like she was my partner in crime. Like I was calling her all the time as we were helping navigate, you know, our youth sports and our high school sports and even our pros and semi-pros, like navigating them, you know, back to activity. You know, she was somebody that I was always calling and, and using as a resource um, we had an opportunity to work together in a bubble environment um, for a basketball tournament, which was super cool. Um, and, you know, being those frontline people with the testing and making some decisions about, you know, tournament play and that kind of thing. So it just, I'm just super lucky. I, again, I, I'd never had these types of physicians when I was at university of Maryland, which was a big, you know, a big healthcare system. Um, so really just appreciating like the bench, the bench depth and the bench, bench strength that we have here. And, um, appreciating the diversity. Um, it's just, I think that's, what's important. Awesome. Very good. Um, and then that, the next part of that, that you hit on, um, is interviewing and recruiting. So you're also tasked with recruiting. So when you're looking for a, at a potential athletic training candidate, um, in the various roles that we have for athletic trainers in MedStar, um, what, what do you look for in a, in a can, a good candidate? I feel like a lot of, of my interview questions kind of have taken on more of like a behavioral approach. Now, if you're certified, you're licensed, you can do the job. I can call your references and find out if you're, if you're good at your job and see what your skills are like and you know, how you are in like the day-to-day operations of the job. Like I can, I can find that out. Like we know enough people in this world, you know, you know, enough to call references and that kind of thing. I think what I, I go down the path more of behavioral questions because I want somebody that like fits into our team. You know, we are kind of like a big dysfunctional family and (laughs) we are, we're very, we are, our team is super familial and, you know, people like to hang out outside of work. People like to go grab a glass of wine or grab a bite to eat. Right. We do social things. I mean, the pandemic shut that down for a while, but we do do a lot of social things. We have a social committee, you know, we, we like to gather, we like to be around each other. And, you know, I look for someone that's going to fit into that. 
but I also look for diversity. I want to bring someone into the fold that's going to teach me something new or show us a different way to do things or someone that comes from a different background that can be an advocate or, or teach us. Right. Like, I just think that's, what's so important. Like I say, like, you know, my little um, quote that I like is, you know, to, to build a team so strong, you don't know who the boss is. Right. If I believe in hiring people more diverse than me, smarter than me, different skill sets than me, that's the only way we can grow our program and grow as professionals is to, um, expose yourself to, to that kind of diversity. And I'll tell you, I really appreciate somebody. Like I like to ask questions about too, like what your summer job was, you know, what did you do in high school? What did you do in college? If you have somebody that actually had that job, like in, in the service industry or in retail and anything that dealt with the public, I think it just, it, it brings another layer of, um, of people skills, right? I think that's, what's hard. And, um, you know, being, having been at Maryland and MedStar now where we have programs where we have residents and fellows and that kind of thing. Sometimes those residents and fellows have grown up in the walls of a hospital and they just don't, they kind of lack some of that people skill sometimes. Like they never scooped ice cream. They never had a paper route. They never, you know, waited tables or anything or bartended or did anything in the service industry. And sometimes they struggle with those people skills. I mean, Corey's talking about like, getting, you know, putting an ACE wrap on somebody. It's true. But sometimes people forget, like we're people taking care of people and you kind of have to let your guard down sometimes. And you have to navigate that. Some of the best, best, best residents and professionals I've worked with were people that came from humble beginnings and, you know, had summer jobs and paid for their education and really like grinded it out. So I, I look for the diversity. I look for the human part of that. Um, Spirit values are a really big deal at MedStar and um, the whole teamwork and service and, and all that is super important to me as I build my team um, and just the ability to coexist and teach each other, I think is just is super, super important. So I'm more inclined to, to take somebody with a really interesting story or I'm not afraid to hire a new grad. One of my best hires ever was a brand new grad. Her resume was like three quarters of a page, but she interviewed really well. And she ended up being one of the most phenomenal employees I have ever hired. So you don't have to have this lengthy, crazy, long-standing resume. Sometimes it's just about your capacity to just be a good person. Kim, I love the way you think about that because you're so right. We have so many people. We think about this with our residents and fellows. Some of them have, I say that some of them have never had a job before. Mm -hmm. They've never had a job. And, and which baffles me, but it's just different people raised different ways, you know, no judgment, I suppose, except I sound a little judgy. Um, but in emergency medicine, sometimes we think about like, who am I going to want to stand next to in the ER at two o'clock in the morning, you know, on a Saturday night mm-hmm. when the shit's hitting the fan. Right. And I think that in sports medicine, it's kind of the same, right. When the wind is blowing rain sideways on the sideline of the cross field in February, like, who do I want to be shoulder to shoulder with, right? Who do I want to actually talk to? Who's interesting? Who's going to be my partner out there? And you're right. At the end of the day, I think that counts so much more than like, what schools did you go to? And who do you know? And what mm-hmm. papers did you write? Like, I want to know who's going to be in the trenches with me. And, and then, and who's going to be entertaining while we're out there? <laughs> like, who's going to, who's going to work hard and who's going to be fun to talk to? That is yep. Very under underrated aspect of uh of work relationships is is fun. Yeah, yeah. we need to build yeah. that into the interview process. Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. I I do like the fun fact <clears throat> thing. I'm like, you know, what's a fun fact about you? And you know, I do a lot of like describe your personality, and then I also ask about character. Describe your character, and then they look at you funny. I go, not your personality. Describe your character. Right. You know, tell me. Tell me about you. Tell me about your character. But I always like to do the like fun fact, and I like the elevator speech. You know, and remember, it's an elevator speech. We're only going up three or four floors. Like, <laughs> like the quick, the quick and dirty. You know, why I should hire you for this job? But it, it's who's in the. You know, it's Corey's spot on. Like I want to know who's who's going to have my back when we're in the trenches because that can be a miserable experience when it's pouring down rain, it's freezing cold, and I think that like I mean that's what keeps me so involved with my cheerleading team is that I love the staff that I work with. I mean, it would have been easy to walk away from that a long time ago. It's cold. 
You know what I mean? It's raining. It's like whatever, but um, it's really about wanting to spend that time. Cause sometimes you spend more time with your coworkers than you do your family, like certain, especially Absolutely. in this job. So who likes wine? Who likes to bring the best snacks? Who am I going to be shoulder to shoulder with? Like, you know, all that stuff. I think, you know, that, that whole person to person thing is just so, so important. Um, and when I look at the team that we have currently, I think we're in pretty good shape. Yeah, that that's very key because if you start to feel that wind and that rain, that's going to make that game go so much longer. <laughs> Brandon and I know that from, that's how we made it um, through football at Frostburg and rain and sleet and snow and everything. I, I never really felt it or cared about it because I was having a great time with, with our crew um, of athletic trainers. We did keep each other sane. Uh, <laughs> we also began athletic training in the internship route. Um, our program became accredited. Like I think Donita graduated the semester before it became accredited. I graduated the semester that it became accredited. So we had what close to 2,200 hours of, yes. uh, of clinical experience <laughs> before it was all said and done. And uh, it, it is a dysfunctional family. That's why I chuckled when you, <laughs> when you said that, um, because we hung out, we would do a potluck at someone's house and we would go study. We would practice our special tests and, and uh, structural tests on each other. We would go bowling. We would go fishing, go hiking. And um, we just really enjoyed each other's uh, time and company. And um, I'm a preceptor now that I'm kind of old and have some experience. And it's interesting to talk to some of the students who come through my clinic to get their hours and I, I get kind of sad sometimes that they don't have the kind of bonding relationship that we had uh-huh. as, as, uh, as classmates. And um, I really think they, they miss out on a level of um, really what helped me really fall in love with our education and profession was just the people that I was around. So how do they do it? It's so few hours now. I don't even know how many hours I had by the end of my career. I really don't. I'm, I'm afraid to think about it. I think I maybe have a little PTSD from that, <laughs> you know, because you got out of the training room so late. You were in classes mm-hmm. all day because, yes. you know, I did the athletic training and mm-hmm. education thing. I was in classes all day from eight in the morning and then till whenever. And then I went to the training room and then you got out of the training room so late and then I didn't have a car. I had to try to like hitch a ride to get to the dining hall before it closed and like, it, it just, you do, you spend a lot of time with, with your classmates. Mm-hmm. I just how I don't know how these kids do it. Um, I'm showing my age there. I don't know how <laughs> they do it. Like it's just not a lot of hours, not a lot of hands-on hours. And that's your Brandon, you hit the nail on the head. That's what made me fall in love with it is like all the human interactions that you had and all that hands-on experience and opportunity. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, I think that's one of the things that, that programs still are working to find, uh, a, a really good balance of because you have to really focus in your, your training when hours are limited. And um, so a lot of the times, and, and we saw the, all of the freaky injuries and it was because we had to spend a lot of hours in a clinic. So yep. uh, what I'm seeing now, and, and one of the things I talked to our program directors and clinical edu- education coordinators about um, just when we have casual conversation is this, they have a limited amount of hours that they're allowed to work. And so it's always, you know, maybe 20, 25 hours a week, depending on how many hours they have to get that semester. So they'll work their hours. And then as soon as they leave, that's when we have a tip fib fracture. That's when we have a dislocated jaw. That's when we have a deceased spine, a patient. And it's right after the patient, right after the clinical student leaves. And um, we had to see and touch all of those things that all of our, our, a lot of our kids not only get to see and I don't want to say kids, but they only get to see it in textbook or right. on a PowerPoint. And well, and the pandemic changed that too, right? Well, like, then they didn't have that really good, strong experience. And I think that's what's been so hard about navigating these last two years of interview is, you know, a, a lot of these young people just haven't really had that strong experience because they couldn't have their traditional clinical experience. So they couldn't be in the training room. So it's, it's hard. It's really hard. This, is, this has been an awesome conversation. <laughs> um, I was all, the, all these old heads all these old heads on this call that did the internship program we are, we are not old we are seasoned <laughs> experienced <laughs> experienced there you go there you go vintage awesome well I'm, I'm tapped out you guys have answered all of my questions i'm grateful uh donita do you have anything at- no i just thank you so much for um coming on um dr hudson kim was um 
she speaks so highly of you. And I was just like, we got to figure out a way to, to incorporate Dr. Hudson on the show. And Kim kept asking. And I was like, and I was like, well, we want you to be on the show. And Kim was like, well, why don't we come on together? And I was like, yes. And she's giving me all of this stuff. And I'm coming up with all these great questions. I think it, your background is awesome. Um, I love the relationship that you have with Kim. So thank you. Thank you so much. And Kim, thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise. Thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate it. Well, I really thanks appreciate for having it. us. Absolutely. It's been fun. It was a pleasure. So uh, we can wrap it up. Um, if I want to always ask this question of everybody. So um, we let people plug themselves. Uh, we, we encourage it. So if people want to follow you or your programs or your, or your work on, on social media, how would they do that? So my professional like path is on LinkedIn. So you can catch me on LinkedIn. I'm trying to be much, much better about being way more active on there. So professionally, if you have questions or you want to reach out to me that way, socially, if you want to follow me, if you like dog rescue and wine and dinner with your friends, you can follow me at Kim Bosley on Instagram. All right. I am also uh, on LinkedIn. So if anybody's interested professionally, LinkedIn, uh, and then uh, on Twitter for personal stuff at Hudson underscore Corey. Uh, So if you're interested in that and links to our, uh, emergency medicine and our fellowship pages from there. Awesome. Awesome. Do you guys have any, any cool professional things coming up speaking engagements or conferences or. We are getting ready to do a couple of interesting things. We're going to do a, we've got a, uh, we're creating a new uh, simulation uh, model for uh, cardiac arrest and uh, C-spine emergencies Uh, specifically to work with our emergency medicine doctors who are the airway physicians for the NFL and the NHL. And we're going to be working with athletic trainers and EMS as our instructors for that, really, to use them and their experience who've been in the trenches and the NFL and the NHL for a long time, uh, along with some of our physicians who've been doing that, to have our ER physicians who are in those league-mandated roles get them some simulation experience in that kind of last step, right? We usually do that simulation with the cardiac arrest where we kind of get out there and we get to the chest and we put the AED on and we say, okay, and now we're going to do the thing and we stop. Well, that's where the ER physician steps in and now they're supposed to do the thing. So we want to give them a chance to actually do their whole thing uh, and actually sim that all the way through. So we're going to do that. And uh, I think that's going to go really well. We're going to be doing that at St. James uh, in Virginia in a in a month, and I see some faces because you didn't know that, but you're going to be helping us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to call you about that one. You're hosting, Danita. Surprise! <laughs> I can't wait. Sounds great. <laughs> yep. So we, um, so let's see. I'm going to be. So I'm excited that there's some things going on on the East Coast. I will be at the MAATA. Um, officially got approved because, you know, the whole COVID thing, we had to get approved for travel. So I will be down there. I'm hoping to meet some new faces and maybe do some interviews down there. Um, I will definitely also make an appearance in Philly for the NATA. So if anybody is um, out there interested in the jobs or interested in a career path at MedStar um, and wants to chat about it, I will be at both of those places. Um, Also super excited that for the last two years, we haven't really had an NFL cheerleading team here in Baltimore, not in the traditional sense, but we're in the middle of tryouts and um, we'll pick that team in two weeks, about two or three weeks. Oh, cool! And then we'll be doing PPEs and getting back to a more traditional kind of training um, program. So I'm super excited about that. I think I'm speaking at AMSSM and uh, we'll be traveling with the group to ACSM and we'll make a little plug for anybody. Uh, the Boston marathon coming up uh, Easter Monday, right after Easter, uh, Boston Marathon Conference for anybody who's in Boston is going to be really great. And anybody who's not in Boston is available virtually. Um, I'll be giving a lecture. One of our other MedStar physicians, Matt Sedgley, is giving a lecture. Some really good content there for C- CME and CE and ATC, CEUs. Everything is available. And it's actually <laughs> all the virtually, things. all the things and available uh, virtually as well. So if anybody's interested in mm-hmm. some race day stuff coming up with the Boston Marathon Conference. Mm-hmm. You hear that, Amy Mendoza? You got to get there. Amy Mendoza (laughs) is one of our classmates who lives in Boston. I think she's done some work with the marathon in the past. But if not, if you live in Boston, it's required. Yeah, if if you did or if you didn't, Amy, you get your butt out there and you represent us well. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you to you for for joining us today. Also, thank our listeners um, for for listening to us, all 12 of you guys. We really appreciate it. 
No, it's really more than that. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to follow us on it, the social media, please do so at the underscore top underscore DAT and on LinkedIn at top dash DAT one. And um, that's it. Until next time, I'm your uplift athletic trainer, Dr. Brandon Holland, reminding you that the, good, the difference between a good day and a bad day is your outlook. Change your attitude, change your life. And I am the unapologetic AT, and I'm reminding you that you're doing this all for nothing if you don't stand up for something. All right, everybody. We'll see you next Tuesday. Love you. Have a good one.